one of the things that I love is like this radical hospitality. Maybe I don't love radical hospitality. <laughs> Maybe I hate it. Oh my gosh. How God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say anything. Maybe that's a sign for God. Welcome back to Christ and Culture. This is Steve. We actually have a special guest today, uh, not Gordon or Clint. Uh, and special guest is Mackenzie Young. She is a focus missionary, a good friend of mine. Um, say hello. Hi. Um, you want to tell, I guess, our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I am, right now, I'm a focus missionary at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. Uh, go Mustangs. Um, I am graduating in December with a degree in chemistry. Um, I do indeed hate myself. Um, <laughs> chemistry is quite hard. Um, and then I will receive a new assignment in December and transfer. So I don't actually know where I'll be yet. Yeah. But I just kind of hang out at the Catholic Center at SMU for most of my time. It's fun. Good deal. Yeah. Um, so Mackenzie is a friend of mine. I actually met her through my work. We give scholarships out to um, some college students and provide them training um, to do some pro-life work on their campuses. Uh, Mackenzie is one of them. Um, and I met her at one of the Text Right to Life events. And she told me she was considering or she was going to be doing focus. Um, and I support evangelism uh, and discipleship. I I. Uh, so I just kind of got connected with her through that. And then we were talking the one day and she brought up her love of Harry Potter. Mm. And I thought, wow, you'd be so great for this podcast. Um, so yeah. to kick off uh, the new 52. I brought in Mackenzie Young, uh, resident expert on Harry Potter and mm -hmm. all things Catholic. Yeah, I do have an encyclopedic knowledge of Harry Potter. Don't actually quote me on that, but Very you can cool. also just call me Mac. Yeah. Um, or we could just go the full like Hermione Granger, Mackenzie Young, the entire podcast. You can just use my full name the whole time. Probably won't. I'll probably refer to you as Mac or Mackenzie, uh, to be honest. Whatever flips your pancake. Yeah. Um, so kind of getting into that, um, <clears throat> kind of getting into that floor is yours. Yeah. So I love Harry Potter. Uh, I started reading the books when I was the first grade, probably. Um, no, that's a fact. It was first grade and I absolutely fell in love with the books. I use them a lot of times when I'm talking with people because I think it's important to use people's culture to um, kind of bridge the gap into evangelism. Mm. I wonder if there was a podcast that did these sorts of things. I Yeah, I think I... I don't know. I, I've been looking for one. Mm. But, like, it's hard. Christ and culture, like, it's just... I don't know if a lot of people have, like, really tuned into that one. <laughs> Someone really should hop in on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, anyway. And... Um, Something that whenever Steve and I kind of start talking theology, we always get onto like masculinity and femininity. And I was just, my favorite character in the books is Ginny Weasley. Who's your favorite character, Steve? Hmm. It's a really good question. I mean, I, I like Harry Potter. I think that 
he's got some interesting things. I think Ron actually has some interesting character development that people don't recognize. At least not in the movies. Not in the movies. Because a lot of people, they only know the movies. They don't really know the books. But in the books, like, Mm -hmm. he has a lot of character development. Yeah. And he has this, like, really broken phase for a Mm -hmm. while. And I think that just, like, the beauty of sort of Hermione and Harry helping pull him out of that Mm -hmm. um, is just really cool thematically. Right. Um, But, yeah. So, I don't know. I really like Sirius Black. I think he's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. He might actually be my favorite. You actually had a really interesting take when I said that Ginny was my favorite character. What was your hot take, My hot take was that Ginny... (laughs) Before... When this was initially pitched to me, she was like, I want to talk about masculinity and femininity um, and the dynamic with Harry and Ginny because I think Ginny... Ginny Weasley is my favorite character. I was like, she is like just he basically called her a wet blanket (laughs) i did i did call her essentially a wet blanket um i just thought she was so vanilla and that she as a character had no personality um and that was my hot take and then mackenzie learned me some things (laughs) well i think because what happens in a lot of times and like this is more just like a discussion of the culture as a whole Mm -hmm. than it is maybe harry potter but what you see a lot of the times in the movies, specifically the Harry Potter movies, is Hermione Granger takes on all of these like good attributes and they use her specifically as this character to be like, this is how amazing women are, period. And you should love women because they're like Hermione. And you mentioned a lot of the things about Ron that you really liked. And in the movies, actually, Hermione is the character who does the things that like Ron is known for. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just think that's like a very interesting reattribution of character to Hermione because we need to like pit a woman against the male lead, even though the series is Harry Potter and all the way through. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, it's Harry Potter and Hermione Granger. That's how the movies like introduce the story. But I think that Ginny is such an interesting, interesting character because she herself has experienced so much that is similar to Harry. Um, just in like Chamber of Secrets, she is toe to toe with Voldemort really from the moment in Flourish and Blots where she receives the diary from Lucius Malfoy. Mm-hmm. And she's 11 when that happens. And she doesn't succeed in the same way Harry does when he's 11 and standing toe to toe to Voldemort, but she holds her own. And I think that you see Ginny kind of come into herself and like establish her own femininity as a true complement to the masculinity of Harry mm. in ways that Hermione's femininity does ultimately complement Ron. Yeah. But Hermione doesn't really complement Harry in the same way. Right. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that you'd mentioned when we kind of talked about all this that I hadn't really thought of, and you sent me that, that YouTube video. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's like a 20-minute video that says why Ginny Weasley is an amazing character. Or it's like her life story explained or something like that. Yeah, something. And it was sent to me, and I said, okay. And then I was kind of like, no, you really have to, like, watch this. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, oh, interesting. Fair. (laughs) But yeah, in that, you know, it talks, and I think we we had talked about this before, that, like, in, like, this complementary nature of masculinity and femininity, Mm -hmm. like, there's something about masculinity that wants to be driven um Mm -hmm. for a purpose and for an end and like there's a part of being a man that is this wanting to give Mm 
mm-hmm. and wanting to serve. Like we may not always recognize it, but like there's a part of us that like we are meant and made to die to ourselves for our, for our spouse mm-hmm. um, and for our families. And so you, you see this in some of the ways that like Harry interacts with Ginny. And it's mm-hmm. funny, I just had this conversation with a really good friend of mine named mm-hmm. Bryce where, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, just some of our like struggles and just spirituality because he's engaged now and he's sort of looking toward his marriage. And I was just kind of like, all right, so like, what is your drive? And he's like, to be the man that Emily, his fiance deserves. That's beautiful. Right. And I think that like, as a man, like that's something that like I see. um, And like, if I'm like, oh, like, am I interested in this person? Like, one of the like first things I realized is this person inspired me to be a better person mm-hmm. because I think that like part of that is like that women and you and I'm sure we'll touch on this as well that women sort of help draw men to be better mm-hmm. um, and um, there's actually a Fulton Sheen quote on this um, when a man loves a woman he has to become worthy of her the higher her virtue the more noble her character the more devoted she is to truth justice goodness the more a man has to aspire to be worthy of her. The history of civilization could actually be written in terms of the level of its women. Mm. It's actually really interesting because I think I'm going to like twist it just a little bit. Cause like, yes, mm-hmm. like femininity, like a woman is, you know, called ultimately to receive. But I also think that, um, she is meant to call higher. She mm-hmm. is meant to seek what is the purest and the most good. And, receive the favor i mean like this is very medieval not necessarily um in a bad way just like truly like the time um but like receive the favor or like give her favor to you know okay chivalry all that and we've had conversations about chivalry as well but um i think it's interesting too because it's like what does Ginny strive towards in the harry potter books as juxtaposed to what does hermione strive for because I think that it's really interesting to look at like the parallels because I think a lot of people who are ignorant of the stories think that Harry and Hermione should be together. Um, but I think a lot of times like what Hermione is striving for is goodness within the broken system. Uh, you see Hermione um, striving that it's not just enough for Voldemort to be gone. We also need to care for the house elves. We also need to care for... Uh, half-bloods or uh, muggle-borns we also just need to care for muggles themselves um, we need to care for half-giants with grop and centaurs and all of this and we need to care about education for education's sake like she's worried with fixing the system mm-hmm. like the governmental structure while Ginny is much more focused on fighting the biggest and most present evil which is exactly what Harry is focused on struggling as well or fighting against as well. Mm -hmm. And I think like, that's like what true like marriage, true love is actually like, that is an icon of it is it's like, you're both running in the same direction towards the same goal. And I think that's ultimately why you see um, Ginny and Harry end up together versus Hermione and Ron ending up together and like how does like the first kiss between Ron and Hermione happen it's because Ron says what about the house elves in the dungeons in the seventh book mm-hmm. and she throws the basilisk fangs aside and is just like oh my gosh it's you mm-hmm. and like you know kisses him because like he is finally 
reached that level of virtue that she has been striving for since the fourth book. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of just going back a little bit, because um, I don't think, yeah, so kind of going back a little bit to what some of the themes like I just kind of threw out there and then we mm-hmm. didn't flesh out. Right. So do you want to kind of talk a little bit about sort of um, within that work um, where like Ginny sort of like calls Harry out and like, oh, calls him to be better? Oh, yeah, you're talking about the fifth book. Yeah. Okay, so like... You're talking about when, like, Harry's all angsty because everyone's like, you don't, he's like, you don't know what it's like to be possessed by Voldemort. Yes, when he's being super yes, angsty. And yes, yes, yeah, like, 15-year-old like... Harry, like, full of hormones, just being the woke, um, the worst of all time. I don't know if people know what that means, but. Uh, yes, the woke, um, which I'm sure you'll hear Mackenzie <laughs> use, is uh, instead of, like, the goat, which is the greatest of all time, she uses the woke, which is the worst of all time. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know what that says about me as a pessimist, but it's fine. But in the fifth book, Harry, in the whole struggle with Snape and closing his mind off to that which is evil, which I think in a completely separate tangential vein is such an interesting talk about temptation. Mm. Um, If Harry, if we're going to like look at Harry as a Christ figure in a lot of ways, like the fifth book is his experience in the desert. Mm with the temptations, mm. um, which I just, we don't have to get into, but I think it's just very fascinating. Um, and he is just so angsty because it's right after he has the dream where he is Nagini in the dream and he sees Arthur Weasley get attacked, um, while he's guarding the department of mysteries and he feels he's so caught up and like wrought with this grief and this angst and this confusion and fear because he doesn't understand what's happening or why he attacked Arthur. And he will not rely on the like he will not give his burdens over to Ron and Hermione, hmm. which are his best friends. And he blows up on them and says something along the lines of you don't understand what it's like to be possessed by Voldemort and Ginny very just she kind of cuts through the crap and she's just like, I do. And there's this moment in the text where Harry says, like he completely stops and he was like, I forgot. I'm sorry. And Ginny's response is, I wish I could forget too. It's this moment where their relationship fundamentally changes because he begins to see her as an equal. When I think before he kind of saw her as a little sister type character, because I think Harry in a lot of ways is very imperfect and in a like not to speak in just harsh generalizations i think a lot of times individuals can get stuck inside of themselves and i think one of the beauties of femininity is um the concern with the other Mm. Uh, women are just naturally very empathetic in a lot of um instances you know not every woman is wholly empathetic every moment of every day but well concupiscence yeah right yeah the woke (laughs) and so i think it's very interesting that moment because Ginny calls Harry outside of his own head and it's like no like your demons are not unique they're the same as a lot of other people and I've actually experienced it and I can give you advice that you're not even willing to seek out because you're so caught up in being the chosen one yeah yeah also what I think is great about Ginny and I think kind of shows because one thing that I don't want um to kind of portray is that complementary nature is like you lose your individuality Right. And one thing that, like, I always knocked against Ginny, and maybe it was just because I was younger when I read the books. For some of them, I was younger. Mm-hmm. 
that like I, I missed out on because you know I wasn't thinking about these topics, but that like Ginny actually is a very strong character. Like she's very, very so. good at, um, like she's very very good at um, charms, bad bogey hexes, Quidditch. What Quidditch? Okay. Yeah, she's really good at Quidditch and all the other things too. Yeah, she's really good at Quidditch. She's uh, incredibly gifted at magic. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, when Harry and Ron and Hermione leave, she kind of keeps up Dumbledore's army and continues yeah. the training. She is willing to go toe-to-toe with Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Um, As an 11-year-old. Yeah. Which the only other person in the series who does that is Harry. Yeah. But she's like willing to go at him like in the very end as well. Exactly. And I think that what you end up seeing is a lot of these parallels, but like she is just striving for the things she's striving for. Cause I think in the very beginning she wasn't being authentic to herself and, and Harry is just like, mm, okay, like whatever. You're like super awkward. Yeah. You're putting your elbow in the butter dish. I don't know what to do with you, Ginny. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then it's actually Hermione who gives her the advice of, Hey, why don't you date other guys thinking like, okay, this will get her over Harry. Right. But what ends up happening is she comes into her own and actually is authentically herself mm-hmm. and it becomes very apparent to everyone including harry that they are striving for the same things yes and they are walking the same journey just separately instead of together mm-hmm. and harry begins to realize now obviously harry does the whole hey we can't be together because i'm gonna go defeat voldemort thing but it's also i don't find it as cliche as a lot of people want to say is because he has watched like you have to understand and approach it from harry's hermeneutic Mm -hmm. because he lost sirius because voldemort used sirius very specifically to get harry to come to the department of mysteries in the fifth book yeah and dumbledore had to like be killed by snape and harry doesn't at that juncture know why harry doesn't understand why snape killed dumbledore basically until the prince's tale in the seventh book So all he sees is that Voldemort is coming and attacking the people that represent huge, huge things to Harry. Like, Sirius was his last chance at security and independence from the Dursleys, who are just outright abusive characters. Dumbledore was direction and security and wisdom and things that Harry didn't really get from anyone in his life except Dumbledore. And he loves her so much that he's just like, I cannot also lose you. Yeah. So you cannot be close to me because I have watched and experienced Voldemort kill those that are closest to me. And that's kind of why I bring that up, too, is like that is the part of like Harry very clearly doing something. And and this is what I was referring to earlier, very much in the way that like Bryce is with his fiance. Like what I do is so that I can be the man that like my fiance deserves like harry is is at that point where he says like this is for you like this is not me being like look we just can't be together right now this is a this is a sacrifice that i have to make for your sake right and you see harry in the seventh book like he pulls up the marauder's map and he just like kind of gazes on Ginny's dot on the map which Mm -hmm. is like so sweet Mm -hmm. and but also like tragically sad because like, I think also a pushback that anyone could have is like, well, why doesn't Ginny just ignore him and come with? She's 16 at the time. And Molly Weasley would just probably outright murder Ginny, like find her and kill her herself if she just like left school as a 16 year old to go 
fight the most powerful dark wizard that has ever lived. Because Ron and Hermione are 17 and can make their own decisions and their own choices, which is why Molly, like, accepts Ron leaving school. Yeah. When she would never do that for Ginny. Right. Also, I think there is, in degrees of separation, um, Ron and Hermione have walked with Harry through most of the books. And so if you're in a place where Death Eaters are running the show... Mm-hmm. Ron and Hermione probably aren't safe at the school. Well, and like as cliche as this sounds, like true love is actually a little blind. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Harry would have been as sharp as he needed to be. Mm. Like the, um, it's like fasting in a lot of ways. It like sharpens our prayer and like draws us deeper. Mm. And so like not being around this girl he loves so much, this woman he loves so much, makes him have clarity that he probably wouldn't have when he's in the beautiful yet hazy passionate love that he has with Ginny. Also, they only dated for like six weeks. So Right. Right. Yeah. And there's... Yeah. But like that's also a thing too where <laughs> that distance like getting into just love in general. Right. Like, there was definitely like the six weeks of this Eros... Right, mm-hmm. but that separation allowed that arrows to be refined mm-hmm. um, through like the same things like fasting, right? These these spiritual exercises that refine and redefine sometimes mm-hmm. us, and it can ch- change our vice into virtue, mm-hmm. right? Through this like fire almost and this crucible, so to speak. Um, but in the same way, like this distance allowed that arrows to be refined and redefined into more of an agape. Exactly. And um, this is actually something I find very interesting as well. Just like a little bit of a tangent from that topic of refining. But I think that something I find so fascinating about Ginny's character is that she is the seventh sibling with six older brothers. Yet she is fascinatingly feminine in her character where you have like Hermione who is an only child and she is bookish and brainy and compelling in just her mind-numbing intellect because people just don't understand how Hermione is the brightest witch of her age and Ginny is rough and tough and like tumbles and is a chaser on the Quidditch team but like not to be crass but like she of all of the characters in the books is one of the most Uh, involved in the Hogwarts dating culture, um, which I think is a testament to just how much people are, men specifically, are drawn to Ginny as this exceedingly feminine character Mm -hmm. because while she grew up with, you know, Fred and George, which are just an insane duo, and, like, Ron, who has, like, authority issues and wanting to be seen and is a little bit of, like, a narcissist and wanting to grow. And I just think how it's very interesting because jk rowling i think wrote something that is so profoundly traditional without it kind of harping on the tradition itself you know because arthur and molly are married and they've raised all of these children who are all very upright men but also this very upright woman Mm. and Ginny kind of redefines what the mold of like girlish like looks like which i think is such a fascinating quality of her character yeah um and kind of just getting a little bit of a tangent off of that you mentioned the weasley family yes that's a really good little segue look at me (laughs) i could be a podcast host um because i actually think that's something that's so fascinating about just the books in general um you know i'm a pro-life person um that's you know how we met but it's also i think it's such a testament to the size of a family 
because the Weasley characters, a lot of the times you see in the books, there's a lot of classism. Like that is really this, like you can tell that uh, JK Rowling is a Scottish woman who is writing about class issues because she lives in Scotland. And in the UK, generally, class issue is a lot more prevalent, and it's in the front, the frontal lobe of the the culture, um, with classism. Where in America, it's very much race. Maybe you could argue right now it's also gender, but race has always been just kind of in the forefront of the American identity. It's why, in America, what you hear a lot in the context of a Harry Potter discussion is the mud blood. Sorry, what a what a word, but the Muggleborn versus pure blood like struggle. We identify that we like latch onto it as American readers, where in Britain they would latch onto the Malfoy Weasley struggle, mm. and identify most with that because the Weasleys represent this beauty and this family that is vibrant and strong and crazy and somehow even though they are the poorest of the poor. They manage to feed all of these kids, clothe all of these kids, send all of these kids to Hogwarts, which it's never explicitly stated in the books, but I'm assuming there's some sort of tuition to go to Hogwarts. It's a private school. Uh, but, yeah, I think I think so. Um, I think they kind of mention it in the first book briefly because like Harry has this inheritance mm-hmm. that is used to pay for him to go to Hogwarts. Yeah, and I think that's just something that's so interesting is that I think that is one of the most interesting aspects of the Harry Potter books is that it's not just a class struggle. It's a, a class struggle where we see, you see so many, sorry, I'm about to get like on a soapbox rant, but you see a lot of people, they say things like birth control would be better because if you're poor, like how dare you bring a child into the world, into this situation. And part of what makes the Weasley family so beautiful is that it is so big. Like, Molly Weasley wouldn't be the mother she is without her children. And the fact that she can just welcome Harry to her table so readily and really. She actually just, like, sits him down at the table and gives him more food and makes sure he feels part of the family. Right. And, you know, when, and what you think is, like, the this perfect juxtaposition to the Dursleys. The Dursleys with their one child. Yeah, with their one child. That they pour all of that love into that one child and it spoils him. Yeah, and then like when Harry enters in, they stick him in a cupboard below the stairs and they treat him as the second class afterthought of like this boy is a burden on our family. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the Weasleys, it's like this is a new part of our family. And even when Hermione comes for that summer, like it's like this, you are all members of our family. Mm-hmm. And I think like that level of hospitality, because mm-hmm. one of the things that I love is this radical hospitality. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that you see uh, in ancient scripture, and like one of the things mm-hmm. that God is very clearly trying to get the ancient Israelites to understand is this idea of hospitality and service and loving others to where like, when you had a stranger come through, you would slaughter your fattened calf. Right. And, like, feast with this complete stranger. Right. Like, that is radical hospitality. Now, granted, that was necessary because there was, a de- like, a desert nomadic civilization. And if you didn't feed that guy, like, they might have just died. Um, but there's also this thing of, like, that'd be the equivalent of me selling my car and just giving the money to some random stranger that showed up at my door. Right. Right, which is, like, crazy. And I'm not, like, suggesting we do that necessarily, but... Like, there has to be a certain level of this hospitality where you are willing to give, you know, kind of to quote St. Teresa of Calcutta, right? 
Jesus gave until it hurt, and so we must give until it hurts. Because mm-hmm. I think, like, you, there are a lot of phrases that are used in, like, society. You know, like, there's that co-opted phrase from, like, Spanish, like, mi casa es su casa. But, like, what are you actually saying when you say that? Like, mm-hmm. my house is your house. That is the spirit of radical hospitality, is it's not you can sit here and be in this part of my house because you're a guest and I'm going to clean it up and like present it to you like this because you're a guest. It's that like, no, this is my house. Come into my house. There's kitchen like craziness going on. There's Mm -hmm. suds in the sink. We have magic cooking sausages. We have a set of magical like knitting needles that are knitting you a sweater as well. And like, we're going to put a spoon on our family clock for you, Harry, because you're part of our family and like you get to see it for like the entirety of what it is. Like we're welcoming you into our life. You will see Percy leave our family because he believes in the government more than he like holds true to his roots. Yeah. Like you will see Fred die. Spoiler alert. Like you will see him die and you will mourn with us. Like you will marry our daughter. Yeah. And you will actually become in a different way our son. And I think that that's something beautiful too. And that like welcoming someone in and being truly hospitable to another um, is not just putting on your best face, but putting on right. your true face and not wearing a mask, but like they're welcoming him into their family faults and all. And that's like true humility as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think of just, I was taken aback and like I told, and I was telling this story to like my coworkers and some of my friends and everyone, like their first reaction is to be like, wow, I guess almost like weird and how like generous these people were. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but I think you're missing the point. Like it's not weird. It's what we should be striving for. Um, yeah. I had, I was on a, I was, I met with some supporters um, for my job and they were just willing, they were like, hey, do you, like they, they were adamant about like making sure they paid for the food and they were like, hey, do you want to order something to go so you have lunch for tomorrow? Do you live alone? No, I have a roommate. Do you want to text him, see if he wants you to bring anything back, we'll pay for it. Do you want dessert? Like, we'll get that. Hey, we were actually as a family going fishing after this. Do you want to come join us? Like, it was like, people were like, that's too much. And I'm like, but is that not what we're called to? Right. Right? Is that not, you know, what uh, St. John the Baptist is talking about? <laughs> you know, when it's for those who have two cloaks, one belongs to another. For those who have food. Like, it belongs to also those who don't have, right? And, like, right. what Christ is talking about in Matthew 25 and just this spirit of radical hospitality of slaughtering your fattened calf. Like, this may be an inconvenience for me, but, like, you as other is worth the inconvenience. And I think this is actually, like, a super compliment to, like, my mama, but my mom is a really good example of this just even to me because she reminds me in a lot of ways of Molly Weasley. Because, like, growing up and in high school and even now, just, like, she welcomes the people in my life into her home. And it's just, like, come, stay. Like, we have, like, beds. We have whatever. Like, for real, like, SMU always is doing some sort of construction to make our campus more beautiful, more better, whatever. And reliably, every single year, there is some sort of problem with the construction where it just, a pipe bursts and you can't live in your dorm. And I was talking, my mom's like, we have 12 spaces that we could sleep people on. Do they need to, like, drive up to Frisco? Like, bring your friends and, like, bring them to, like, my house. And, like, who 
is not going home for Thanksgiving. Bring them to our house for Thanksgiving so that they can have a family to be with on Thanksgiving if they can't go home. Like, this is the woman who raised me. And I was like, that is, like, femininity. Just, mm-hmm. like, in and of it, just to really, like, bring it all back around, you know? I just, I admire my mom because she's so easily welcoming to any person that she encounters. She loves with, like, her whole heart. And I think that that's what I really love in a lot of ways about Molly. Because I think about, like, her boggart. When they're in Grimald Place and Mrs. Weasley is getting rid of the bogger harry is so struck because like all she sees are like these dead individuals and it's like fred and george percy fleur (laughs) with bill hermione Ginny. harry comes up as well like she is like struck and like terrified because she sees harry's dead body and it's like that moment where harry's known this woman for five years but he is so struck by molly like loving harry as if he were her own progeny and i just think that like this is something that families bring to the forefront Mm -hmm. right the the family is referred to as the domestic church yeah because this is in a lot of ways people's first experience with love and with god and with all the things that are foundational to Mm -hmm. an individual is in the family And I think a lot of the issues we see today is in, I don't think any small part due to the just general breakdown of the family in society. Yes, because I think that's something just even just in the context of like Harry Potter, I think that that is something that's so profoundly talked about by JK Rowling because you see there are so many different family structures. You see the Dursleys and how they treat Harry and Harry is an just actually abused child it's deep and it's profound and it affects him and it affects how he just like walks through the world like that's why he looks in the mirror of Erised he sees his family his parents and like of course he wants to know his parents but like who does he see behind his parents an entire community of people who share his own traits Mm, right and he desires that community that a family just is naturally supposed to provide Right. I think that's just one of the things that Harry like struggles with is the fact that for his entire life, he was in this broken family. And I think he has this drive to be a part of a family. Yeah, absolutely. There's this quote at the very end of the fourth book after Cedric Diggory has passed away. Mrs. Weasley comes to um, see him because Harry is, you know, sick. He has been through just absolutely so much just with the entire school year and all of the tasks watching someone actually die for the first time is you know i'm 21 and i've actually never seen someone die like physically like go from this life to the great beyond and it changes people which i think you know it's a different topic but that's something that she talks about in the books you, it's marked in the books by being able to see the thestrals you're fundamentally changed when you see someone pass on mm. but mrs weasley and like the importance of family um is this quote it breaks my heart every single time I read it but Mrs. Weasley says it wasn't your fault Harry Mrs. Weasley whispered I told him to take the cup with me said Harry now the burning feeling was in Harry's throat too he wished Ron would look away Mrs. Weasley set the potion down on the bedside cabinet bent down and put her arms around Harry he had no memory of ever being hugged like this as though by a mother. Gosh, which motherhood? Yeah. <laughs> um, in a lot of ways, and you can talk about the issues that come from 
the lack of like a father figure in a family, but also like the importance of like a mother figure in a family. There is nothing like a hug from your mom. <laughs> it's true. Like that's just a uniquely beautiful thing. There's mm-hmm. nothing like a hug from your dad, but that's a different feeling. It is. It's um, more manly. Yeah, there's three pats. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think of like when I was a young kid, um, like a little kid, we would just like the intimacy of a family. I'm an only child. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also had like a military father. So I don't think I was as spoiled as some because it was like, oh, we have a child. Uh, you have to do chores and you're the only one to do them. Um, and I was probably a little bit spoiled, but like, I think I've got a good head on my shoulders. But regardless, mm-hmm. like, just this level of intimacy that we had, we used to do this thing called the Sherman sandwich, where one, me and another parent, or both my parents, would collude with the other to just like dogpile hug Aww. another member of our family in just this like intimate act of just like familial love. Mm-hmm. Um, which sounds stupid. You speak on it so fondly. I do. I <laughs> this actually... intimate act of familial love. Well, I do. And I'm just saying it for the sake of a podcast. <laughs> but it really is something that I like remember to this day. Because obviously that didn't exist for most of my life. Um, just like my younger years. Because at some point my parents were getting older and their metabolisms were slow. And oh, piling upon somebody just was not quite what it used to be. Right. <laughs> It's more of an attack than it is <laughs> yeah. this intimate act of familial love. Yeah, once it was like knocking the wind out of other people, they were like, this hurts. We were like, yeah. maybe this isn't what we do anymore. But I do think that there is just something there. And there is just something about the intimacy within a family that pe- like parents are the primary educators of their child, not just in intellectual things and not even just necessarily in spiritual things, but like in love. Mm-hmm. Like, the family is where love is learned. The family is where all of these dynamics of dealing with other people and learning how to forgive and seeking reconciliation, yeah. this all comes from within the family. And it's why I think it's so vital that you best believe that Ron and all of the Weasleys wouldn't be such close friends with Hermione. Mm-hmm. Was Arthur not so obsessed with muggle items and artifacts? Like, Arthur Weasley has this love for the muggle culture that he instills in part, not necessarily wholly. They're embarrassed by him. They think it's kind of silly. But then when they meet Hermione, all of them kind of just want to know a little bit more about her life. What are dentists? Like, what is that? Like, how does this work? Like, what is this like? And they respect Hermione in ways that... It's no accident that Draco Malfoy feels the way he does about Hermione because of the lessons he was learned by Narcissa and Lucius growing up. And just throwing this out here too, what I love, and you see this in Harry Potter um, a lot with like Hermione, is this just like, you know, we look upon Harry Potter and we see this magical world and we are like awestruck by this like grand like grandeur like wow magic like that's so Mm -hmm. amazing to us and yet you like look at the wizards and they're looking at things like dentists and Mm -hmm. like science and they're like how amazing is that (laughs) you know like that like they're like tell me more about technology because they don't have to rely on it but like it's magic in its own way and it's magical to the magic community well, and I think like this is something I was just thinking about right now, but like I converted to Catholicism. And so 
I look at Hermione just literally in this moment with such different eyes because like I find her so fascinating because like isn't she a convert to the wizarding community? Mm. Hmm. Interesting. And she like brings her full knowledge of the like muggle world into the wizarding world. And so in a lot of ways, there's a lot of power just in Hermione's character because she can walk through the muggle world as a muggle, but she can walk through the wizarding world as a wizard. And I think that in a lot of ways, that's why there's fear almost Mm. from the wizarding community of Hermione is that like she is powerful in a lot of ways. And I almost wonder, because like in our society, um, the way like technology works, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to study and really understand the mechanics of it for Mm -hmm. it to work. And so like, I think that, the dynamic of you know Ginny who's just naturally great at Mm -hmm. magic Mm -hmm. like it's just a talent Mm -hmm. and she's not this bookish I have to learn all these things because like she just knows magic and that's where she's from but like Hermione I think the reason she's such an amazing witch is because like she brings that other side of like reading and understanding the mechanics and like really studying how it works like almost like studying magic in like this very scientific muggle capacity Mm -hmm. and i think that's like what set her sets her character apart so much they're like wow you're so smart and bookish and it's because she's like well yeah that's how i was raised like my whole life i was reading books to understand how things worked Mm -hmm. because that's how muggles approach things exactly yeah which is a different way Mm -hmm. that like than like Ginny who approached it with this like understanding of magic but then just like when Hermione approaches school the way she would have approached algebra or trigonometry or any of the muggle subjects. Mm -hmm. She approaches the wizarding world, magic, magic school in the same way. And it pays off. Mm -hmm. She Mm -hmm. is the brightest witch of her age. Like she has the inherent magic that Ginny has, but she also approaches it with this like top down or just like new viewpoint where it's it's inherent because there's also a very interesting juxtaposition because harry does not approach the wizarding world like hermione approaches it you know and he in a lot of ways is a muggle born yeah you know like maybe not by blood but like by merits of his family yeah life growing up he has no idea he's 11 years old and he has no clue yeah, that magic exists. That magic exists. Yeah. So too with Hermione. Yeah. But look at the difference between those characters. Yeah. It's like one is almost like a cradle wizard and the other is almost like a convert wizard. Right. And one of the things too that I want to throw out here mm-hmm. too is like, you know, talking in terms of, for instance, like a convert mm-hmm. is this like love of scripture mm-hmm. and this like root, rooting in scripture. Because I think, you know, there's the always the joke of Catholics like that we don't read our Bible. I'm familiar. But, like, there is something there about love of scripture and just understanding and being rooted in it. And I think of my old roommate, David, um, who's Catholic, cradle Catholic, but Mm -hmm. he loves scripture. Like, it's this thing. Mm -hmm. Like, he is a Bible nerd. What a beautiful gift. Yeah. Like, he can just sit there and quote Mm -hmm. scripture passages. It's just power. Which is, like, amazing because it doesn't matter. Like, you could be sitting there... And regardless of what advice you need, he'll have, like, a scripture verse or two just in his back pocket that he can Mm -hmm. throw out and quote to you. Right. And, like, how powerful not to give his own advice, but to give the advice that of God. Right. You know? Yeah. And he's, like, using, I know, like, he's a youth minister, Mm -hmm. so he'll be up there giving talks, and he'll just be quoting scripture, and he's, like, he'll, like, be, like, because scripture says this, and he'll, like, quote it, and he's, like, it's uh, Ephesians, you know, and just, like, go off, and he's, like, if you want to fact check me on it, 
and like you can and he's never wrong and it's mm-hmm. because he knows scripture so well that he knows where it is because he knows all of the stories and so he knows like what comes before and what comes after every scripture mm-hmm. like if there's a line he knows what the lines before it are and what the lines after so he doesn't have to like have it all completely memorized he just knows like oh this happens and this and so it's right around these verses like mm-hmm. he if he doesn't know like memorize the scripture he can generally be like oh yeah that sounds like it's probably in this epistle and it's probably in this chapter and probably between these verses because like he just knows it Mm -hmm. it's like a part of him no like i i have picked up this habit from one of my teammates she's from missouri and it's this like no yeah which is like an agreement but it sounds like a disagreement or like, like yeah, no, no yeah yeah no i totally agree and mm-hmm. it's like what are you actually saying yeah. with your words um i'm very struck by this like interesting parallel of like hermione and like those who convert to catholicism because i've had some interesting conversations with like friends yeah. um where there's like this frustration or this confusion with like the ability to like for a convert i just think of a lot of men and women who have converted to the faith who are now like very prominent theologians like scott hahn Mm-hmm. For instance, he is, you know, a Presbyterian who converted, and I don't think he's been Catholic for an insanely long time, uh, maybe like 20 years, which, yeah. like, he is not 20 years old, you know, it's like he is um, a distinguished gentleman. Yeah. And, but he has this, like, depth of knowledge of not just the Bible, but also of the faith, and, like, how there's sometimes in some moments this, like, resentment or this, like, despair that like other Catholics feel like, Oh, I'll never be that smart. And it's Mm. cause it's like, I am coming into this. And like, I think of like Ron sometimes and how he like approaches Hermione and it's just like, well, I'll never be as smart as her. So, because like he's been magic his whole life and he's just doesn't excel like Hermione does. Yeah. And I think there's like this part of taking like, you know, when you're a cradle Catholic, sometimes you just take your faith for granted. And I think just in general, Mm -hmm. like sometimes we take our faith for granted instead of just like really, um, embracing where so I think sometimes converts they pour themselves in because they're making a much more conscious choice and like mm-hmm. in a lot of ways they they do a lot of research before they make this decision that's very important whereas like sometimes as cradle Catholics are just you know we're just sort of like oh well you know I've just been gifted this faith and like I don't really consider it much more than that mm-hmm. right and so I think that's sometimes why they excel converts mm-hmm. excel is because they they're they're pouring themselves in more they're bringing much more of this desire to know and like this understanding um that you wouldn't otherwise get but i also think that there is this depth of like knowledge of the culture where a lot of times you see like ron is actually the one who tells hermione she should be offended that draco malfoy calls her a mudblood because Ron's reaction is immediate, it is visceral, and it's in retaliation that he curses uh, Draco with the slug curse. And she had no idea. That word just went in one ear, not the other. Right. She was like, like, what? Like right? mud blood. And, and talking like Ooh. femininity versus like masculinity of just this like natural reaction to like defend the honor yes. of the beloved, right? And the thing is, is that like she didn't even know because she isn't part of this culture yeah she doesn't understand mudblood so it's so interesting too because like you see harry and hermione kind of walking through the world in a lot of the same way yeah because they're like what 
Like, I mean, both Hermione and Harry are just kind of like, huh? In that scene, and yeah. Ron's like, it's a dirty word. I, I almost sometimes feel like I'm more of like, the that not in the way of like, I'm the main character, but like in the Harry Potter in terms of this way of I'm technically a cradle Catholic, but for like my upbringing. A revert. Yeah, I like really didn't know what it was, and then like I get thrown into it. And so in some ways I'm like, yeah, I'm Catholic and I have this background in some ways, but in other ways, like I feel like a convert because I had to like relearn all of these things that like I wouldn't otherwise have known. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, there are some things about magic that come very naturally to Harry. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very naturally. Quidditch is one of those things where he has never flown a broom. So he should be just as good as Hermione. Yeah. And he's better than everyone in the class. And I think that there is a lot of like gift and like natural like drawing towards or tendency there's a word and i cannot think of it in this moment but just like an inclination that's the word inclination a natural inclination towards aspects of the magical world you know harry's very gifted at defense against the dark arts he's better than hermione at it like he gets an o on his owl when like hermione just gets an e encyclopedic knowledge of harry potter but like he I think there's a lot of gift to like reverts. There's a gift to cradle like Catholics. Yeah. There's a gift to converts. And I think that that's something that's really interesting just mm. as well, where like those three kind of ways of being are like laid out in the golden trio in Harry Potter. Right. And they're complementary, almost as if we're of one body, but mm-hmm. of different parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we need all of these different parts for the mm-hmm. body to function. I don't know. There's probably a scripture about that. Yeah, uh, probably. St. Paul, he talks a lot about things along the lines of the mystical body of Christ. I, like, these are reasons I love Harry Potter. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like there is a depth to everything. Yeah. And I mean, maybe I'm like putting on a very Catholic lens as I'm reading it, but like, why not find Christ and culture? Right. And that's honestly one of those things that anything that is of need, and this is what a podcast, our podcast is about, um, and we've redefined is this idea check out last week's episode if you haven't where we actually kind of like talk about these things and what it is we're trying to do but a lot of it is that if something is good it's like pointing toward christ like our hearts are drawn toward him yes right um and that you can see christ even in the seemingly mundane right because mm-hmm. christ is truly present everywhere mm-hmm. um i mean that's a very jesuit idea but it's there's no truth less, in it yeah there's no less yeah it's true um so i think with that because um is there anything else you have to add i if you haven't read harry potter i strongly deeply fervently recommend it i think it's one of the only secular texts i've ever encountered that truly appears appeals not appears appeals to the transcendentals of truth beauty and goodness yeah they're so so good and beautiful and true. Thank you again, Mackenzie. Uh, we usually do some shout outs. I don't have a whole lot this week, but I guess just um, to my friend Bryce and Emily, because we kind of mentioned them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just, you know, guys, please remember, uh, we leave our all of our contact information in the description. So please let us know if there's anything you want us to cover. Um, please email, Facebook us, text us, whatever it is, just so that we can have an idea um, of what it is that you guys want to see on this show. Um, and if you have something particularly interesting to bring, like Mackenzie. And I'll also add some of Mackenzie's, like her email. Um, sure. She is a focus missionary. Absolutely. Uh, and always looking for people to help support her. So if you're willing to maybe help her in her mission, 
you can email her and she can get you more information on that. She Absolutely. Might, you know, if you're close enough, she might grab a cup of coffee with you. Just let you know kind of what the apostolate of focus is all about. Yeah, and she would love to do that. And so thank you again, Mackenzie. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, and uh, thanks guys again for joining us for the another week of adventure. So 